When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like parenting our partners, bisexual FOMO, <laughs> and... Yeah, I know, right? Isn't that a good one? That was so good. Thank you. And dating in a politically polarized world. Mm-hmm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning which is that we're not licensed in any way. So don't believe us. We're just making it up as we go along. <laughs> that is so perfectly said. Yeah, Sam and I are not professionals. We are not trained in this. We are not mental health counselors or marriage and family counselors. Uh, we are just making it up as we go along, as Sam said. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Okay, so for today's check-in topic, um, I wanted to unpack something, um, an idea, but it requires a small backstory. A couple weeks ago, I saw something online, and honestly, y'all, if I could remember what it was or where I found it, I would definitely point you to it because I thought it was so interesting, but... um, Mm -hmm. It, I think it was like a series of tweets or it was a video. I don't even remember, but the idea really stuck with me. <laughs> Honestly, I, if I could find it again, I would. <laughs> um, but it was a story about um, a, a parent and a child. And the child um, was like giving her mother attitude, um, t- you know, talking back and and just generally like was in a bad mood and not herself. And her mother said that she... At one point, she finally was like, what's up? Like, what's up with you, child? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the and the little child, the daughter started, um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, like, started crying and said, like, something to the essence of, like, I can't stop the bad or, like, I, I, mm. I don't want to be bad, but I can't help it. And that turned into a conversation um, with her parent about... How like, yeah, sometimes we are cranky or hungry or tired and we can't always access our best selves, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as, you know, as a, as a four-year-old, five-year-old, as a (laughs) 35-year-old and it, this thing on the internet ended with the parent teaching the child that sometimes it's okay to say, I feel like I can't be my best self right now. I need a couple minutes or I need some time by myself, right? Um, and I really loved that idea because, and it's, that's what I want to unpack with you today, is the idea that, like, it doesn't matter how much work we do on ourselves, we are never going to be perfect. We're never always going to have that access of patience or um, emotional intelligence or stability, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes life just challenges us or we're, we get, you know, what brought this on is today I got some bad news that just put me in a total funk and I felt like I I I 
I got to a, a point where I was just, I was so cranky and I wanted comfort from my spouse, but I felt like no matter what she said, it wasn't, I could, I could feel that bad, you know, that the little kid, I wanted to lash out at the things she was saying, like, oh, well, that's not going to help me, you know, when mm. like, I know for a fact that my spouse was just trying to comfort me or, or offer solutions. Um, you know, I felt the bad wanting to lash out my hurt, my frustration wanted to lash out. I literally just didn't feel like myself and mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had the tools that I normally had. So I ultimately said what a five-year-old learned how to say, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I feel like I can't be my best self right now. Um, I appreciate you trying to comfort me and to help me, um, but I, I need some time to figure out how I feel. But most importantly, I just needed some time to like, be imperfect in my old head so I didn't inappropriately like lash out on somebody trying to help me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to like bring that idea, number one, to the podcast community um, and and unpack it with you and get your take on it because that phrase really helps me and my coping and things like that. I'm not sure how that lands in your life. Yeah, I mean, I think it it relates to what we talk about on the podcast all the time, which is that like the goal is not to have negative feelings. Right. The goal is to like act on those feelings in ways that are authentic to who we are and how we want to show up in the world. So like, yeah, we're all going to get crabby sometimes. Like we're going to get bad news or we're going to have something that like triggers us. And the goal isn't to like live a life that's not about that has no bad news or triggers in it, but just like okay, well, I know this is happening. Like I'm practicing the self-awareness around like, oh, I know that th- what's coming up here. And I know that like the responses that I have to this aren't good for me. And so I'm going to choose to like pause and like yeah. figure out what I need to do next. And like, and honestly, even still, like just like live in the emotion too of being like, no, I'm fucking crabby. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I, we don't need to fix it. No one needs to come at me and I'm okay. It's okay for me to be crabby sometimes, right? right? It's okay for me to interpret what you said in a way that like is entrenched thinking in my brain. Even if I know it's not true, it's yeah. like okay for me to sit in it, right? Like I think sometimes it's like, well, I don't want that to be the story that I hear. Or, like I don't want that to be when I receive that bad news or I receive that piece of criticism or like feedback or something. I don't want my response to immediately be like, oh, I'm a horrible person, I'm a horrible person. Mm. And like, sure, that's a good goal. But An attainable like also, one, but also. But also sometimes it's like, yep. It's sometimes just being like, yep, this is coming up. Here it is. All right, yeah. I knew this was going to happen and I know I know what to do with it, which is to say like, I know this isn't true or I know my partner isn't going to say the, there's no right thing that my partner can say at this moment. And so like, I'm not going to demand it of them yes. because there's I know there's like, it's just, it's such a good example of what it means to practice that self-awareness that we always talk about and like not trying to like push against the bad feeling, but instead being like, yep, here comes the bad feeling and I know it's going to happen and it's okay. It's okay to be feeling crabby or upset or angry or whatever it is. And also I can do it in a way that doesn't hurt other people by doing exactly what you did, like removing yourself from the equation and being like, it's like, literally I see, I, my TikTok gives me all of these like kindergarten teachers because I think that they're so funny. And I love it because it's like, I love the way that they talk to kindergartners because I'm like, if we all talk to each other this way, oh it God. might actually be better. Liberating. But she always <laughs> says stuff like this one that I'm thinking of is like, I know we're having a big feeling right now and that's okay, but we need to do it in a way that it that keeps our bodies safe, right? Mm. Like, And it's like, yep, that's it. Yep, like, yep. <laughs> 
I am yes. having a big feeling and I need to do it in a way that keeps my bodies and other people's bodies safe. That's literally <laughs> it. And it was, it was, it was actually a really good um, moment for me and my attachment style too. Uh, mm. Keeping in mind that like, I know that my attachment style is a lot different now because attachment styles are malleable and not prescriptive and, or wait, what's the right word? I always fuck that up. They are not. Uh, oh, pathologies. Yeah. They're not like permanent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, typically in an, un- at a, at an unstable time of my life, I would have been feeling those negative emotions and I would seek external affirmation to make those negative emotions go away. And, but instead I literally just was like, I unpacked it in a way that was like, (laughs) you can't fix this. And I guess more importantly, um, it's, uh, it's not your job to fix it like that. It's it's my mm. responsibility to keep me and my body safe. And you're, mm-hmm. you're sa- you know, um, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I just like, I thought that moment was really interesting because um, for a moment there, it felt really hopeless. Like, oh, nothing's going to make me feel better. But saying that, even articulating, like, I cannot be my best right now. No, you know, it mm-hmm. it was liberating and and freeing and truthful. Like like you said, sitting in it, feeling it, you know, acknowledging it made me feel like it maybe wasn't so big and scary after all. So yeah, that's yeah, that's great. That's what I want to unpack. Do you feel like do do you say similar things or like do you know how that comes up in your vocabulary relationship, et cetera? Hmm. I am, as a type five, trying to lean into being more upfront with what my emotions are and letting other people know them, even if I don't need them to do anything about it. So yeah. like, <laughs> I feel like as a, as a thinking type, um, my practice is like to do, I think honestly the opposite of yours, yeah. which is like, if, if there's something that's wrong, like get away from me. Like, I don't want, do not try to comfort me. I'm not interested in it. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like, I don't, I will not even, I won't even tell you what I'm going through because I don't, I don't want you to, to say anything to me. Like, that's how I react to things. So my new thing is trying to be like, is trying to be really honest about what I'm feeling um, and being honest about it in a way that like lets people know, because otherwise it's just like, I'm fine. Mm. Like, don't worry Mm -hmm. about it, which like is one way of being, (laughs) but if I'm actually really upset, like people can tell. um, Yeah. And so I'm trying to practice things of like, uh, you know, this is the story I'm telling myself. I know it's not true. And I, but I also need to like process through this emotion yeah. and like this story. And I don't need you to comfort me because that's not actually going to make me feel better. But I want you to know what I'm going through because I want you to see me and to know me. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm also still thinking about the kindergarten teacher that said, you're feeling really big emotions right now. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think even in that moment where you're like, uh, it, it gives you a language just to say, it's not like I need help or I'm really struggling or this fucking sucks. It's I'm feeling really big emotions right now. It's such a simple way mm-hmm. um, to, I don't know, articulate that unarticulatable. To lick the little, little. <laughs> Loved it. Loved there it. were enough syllables in that. It was <laughs> it was the perfect amount. <laughs> anyway, Not sure if they were in the right order, but no. they were 
Yeah. They were there. It was like playing <laughs> Yahtzee with the syllables, you know, just throw them down. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Wherever they land. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's the check-in topic. Uh, uh, let's get into some letters, shall we? Let's do so it. So the first letter is from Liza B, who is writing to us from Canada. Hi, thank you so much for this podcast. It truly brings me so much joy and helps me understand myself and others better. I've come to realize that I'm a bit of a carer. I am very much an acts of service kind of person. I love to make other people happy and help them out however I can. In romantic relationships, though, I tend to go a bit overboard and start almost mothering my partners. I hold myself to a high standard. I have my shit together and like to proactively work towards my goals. It gets a bit tough sometimes. I can't quite relax when I feel I haven't been productive enough. Thanks, anxiety. But I'm happy with myself and my life. I know I can't expect my current partner to be exactly the same, but I seem to internalize their goals, their deadlines, or whatever task they have to do. I get stressed out when they don't take care of it and either end up taking care of it myself or badgering them like an overzealous mother. Did you submit that paper that's due tonight? Remember your grandma's birthday is tomorrow. You'll need a card. Did you finally book an appointment at the dentist for that toothache? It gets so frustrating. I just can't understand why they don't get these tasks over with. I'm no stranger to procrastination, but I feel like a 27-year-old adult should have some strategies by now to get shit done. How can you, quote, forget to call the dentist for literally weeks on end? Well, listen, I, quote, unquote, forgot to call the dentist for years because I fucking didn't want to. So <laughs> how about that for adulting? Um mm-hmm. All right. It doesn't affect me too much yet because we don't live together and have quite separate lives. But I can't help but worry about the future. Will I have to be the one setting up mortgage payments, bringing the dog to the vet, planning our vacations and managing our savings account forever, a mother to my partner? It just sounds so exhausting. Will I have to let go and settle for a life of putting things off and slowing down? Should I just go on my merry way, being responsible and active and hope that my partner can keep up? Thank you so much for your insight. I love you guys. Well, we love you too. Thanks so much for writing, Liza B. Um, Off the bat, out the gate. Mm -hmm. Um. Sam, what Enneagram do you think Liza is? <laughs> um, Liza, I think that you um, might be a type two with a strong oh, wing I was... one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I think type three, yeah. two, a T. Type mm. three, because, um, you know, that the caretaking, well, let me tell you why. My wife is a type three wing two. And so mm-hmm. her, she achiever, you know, she, she takes care of her partners in the past and presently <laughs> um, <laughs> as a way to um, sort of like muddle her own desires, like to, to put her needs to the side. She takes care of her partners. So that's, that was my guess. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's legit. I'm just getting a lot of there's a right and wrong way to do yes, things from this too. letter, which is like very type one for, yes. <laughs> so I think that was a good we're not observation supposed to, too. We are not supposed to be doing this. Like the Enneagram is like, don't type people. And we're just like, whatever. <laughs> 
Well, actually, I wanted to start with this um, because, like, Liza, if you know anything about the Enneagram, awesome. If you don't, maybe you want to check it out um, because it has been a really useful tool in me, my life, and my relationship. And same with Sam, I would think, and his work life now. <laughs> um, yeah. But but because we don't know your type and because what Sam just shared, we, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but you sound a lot like my spouse how she has manifested in other relationships. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. <clears throat> Makes sense. I also know that you have a lot of experience with mothering your partners too. So. Oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I fucking didn't just like know, nurse a 27 year old man for like two fucking years as he cheated on me regularly. <laughs> Paid his fucking bills. What are you talking so about? I don't know. I don't mother I don't my wanna, <laughs> I don't know if you want to talk about that experience at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so, so Sam, Sam pegged you as a two, which is what I am. Like, we should stop talking about the Enneagram just in case she doesn't know what it is. Um, but like, I tend to caretake in my relationships as a way to earn love and admiration. Um, but I also use it as a way um, to deflect uh, my needs and also uplift, uh, like in t- make myself feel entitled in relationships. Um, Taking care of people means that they owe me their love. It makes me lovable, you know. Even mm-hmm. even when my insecurity tells me I'm not, I'll try to find may- more ways or whatnot. In this instance, it's funny. Um, you you talk about you describe it, Liza, as being a a, a mother or mothering, I should say. <clears throat> but you're walking a, a fine line between, at least in the way you've described it like a, a line between mothering and controlling. And I don't think, I don't see you as like a controlling partner, like in like a potentially abusive way. Mm-hmm. But there is this, I mean, you wrote it in your letter, like anxiety, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I need to get this done. This needs to be done in this way. Um, and I, yeah, I just wanted to maybe unpack that a little. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're taking on the responsibility that isn't being asked of you, right? Like, and I think that that's sort of the element of control. Like, it sounds like from your letter, you're like a very sort of responsible person. You're like, this is the way things are done. You know, if you have a toothache, you call the dentist. If you if you're to your grandmother's birthday, you buy her a card. If there's a paper due tonight, you do the paper and you submit it tonight, right? Which is like all well and good, right? Like that's that is for sure a good way of being in the world, right? Like that that is very healthy right yeah yeah um but i think what what i would encourage you to do is to not also take on your partner's stuff and try and and try and make them conform to the way that you do things right like yes it makes sense that if they have a two think they should call the the doctor for sure and like we can talk about what that means but like sierra said some of us <laughs> just forget to call the dentist for like dentist. <laughs> yeah, right. Like sometimes we just forget to call the dentist for six years. It's like a reality. Yeah. Um. Or like <laughs> there's a retaining wall in my yard that might be collapsing, and I just like don't want to deal with it, so I'm not going to call anyone about no. it. Right. Who cares about that? <laughs> right. And so I just um. Here's the thing. I'll just say this. There's two options here. The first option is that you find someone that is that does the things in exactly the way that you want them to do them, right? And you love that person and you date them and you marry that person and your life is great because you have the exact same way of being in the world. Yes. The second is you find a way 
to make space for other people's way of being and to not take on their responsibilities as your own. Right. Yes. You can like, you can change people, right? You can't like, you can encourage people to do things differently. You can like help them do that too, but you literally can't change people. You can't make a person buy a card for their grandma. So like, I, it's just like one of these things where I, as a type A person as well, who likes to do things in a particular way and like, just like follows the rules, it can be really challenging to be like, the rules look different for other people. Mm, mm. Right? Like, my expectation around house cleanliness is that, like, you clean the bathroom a certain amount of times, but, like, that's not the rule. We, I'll tell you this. Peter and I just had an argument recently where he, like, went to take a nap before dinner, and I said, okay, I'm going to have dinner ready at, like, 7.15. And he was like, okay, great. And then he went to sleep, and then dinner was ready at 7.15, and I went to wake him up, and he was like, I'm going to sleep for a couple more minutes. And I was furious because <laughs> I was like, I told you what time dinner was uh, happening so that we could eat together yeah but the reality is is that like my family was a family that always sat down to dinner at the same time and ate together peter's family is a family that like there was food available and you come in and you eat when you're ready and because everyone's in different places all the time so just like there's soup on the stove grab a bowl when you can and then like go do your thing and neither of those things is a bad way of being right But like i had to recognize in that moment that like peter wasn't he wasn't not wanting to spend time with me. He mm. wasn't like, he wasn't not following the rules. It's just that I had a prescriptive set of rules that he, I was holding him to mm-hmm. that he didn't, he didn't agree. So like your partner, if they don't send cards to their grandma or they um, don't submit their papers on time, it's a right. different way of being. Right. And, and I think creating space for that and understanding more of what's driving your preferences of behavior and what's driving theirs might make you a little bit more flexible in like not having to feel like you have to get people to do things the quote unquote right way all the time. Totally. And I, I I think this is tricky because like the, the things that you're mentioning, well, some of them, like, like a toothache, if you ignore it, it might get worse and lead to like health issues, you know, a paper, you might fail a class and, have to retake it and spend more money. Like I see why this is fruitful ground for your anxiety, right? Your anxiety Mm -hmm. sees that and thinks of a thousand ways that things can go wrong for your, your partner and therefore for you. So instead Mm -hmm. of letting them play out or instead of letting your partner just deal, you know, the way that they deal, um, you take control, but, Long, you're starting to see the ramifications of this, whether in past relationships or in this current one. You know, you have to kind of learn to discern what you need from a partner. Like Sam said, the the two options: somebody just like you or somebody different. What do you need from them? There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with saying like, I need you to be like a more responsible, more more proactive person. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to discern what you what your needs are versus what you will never ever be able to control which is how other people function in the world, you know? Sure. Absolutely. And I, you know, I don't think that it is a wrong thing for you to not want to be this proactive all the yes. time, right? Like, no, I know. It's it okay. is exhausting. <laughs> no, for sure. It is okay, especially in things like like you talked about of like, who's going to walk the dog? Who's going to pay the mortgage? Like all of those things as well. And those are important conversations for you to have for sure about like, who is going to walk the dog, right? Like mm-hmm. who is going to pay the mortgage? Um, 
But I do think that so like I think it's totally normal for you to be like, it feels like you're not showing up in this relationship as much as I am. Right. And there feels like an imbalance there. Maybe but showing it's another up in in this realm, you know, because again, it's not about like how they're showing up romantically. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. physically, all these things. But in terms of the caretaking, or how would you describe it? You know, like what category of this is? I don't know. General life caretaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, of like maintaining the household or something. Life, life maintenance. Right? Like, life maintenance. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's also like that there's a, there's a difference between sort of like, how are you showing up in our shared spaces and our shared responsibilities and you being like, here's this thing that you have to do that I'm going to like, yeah, make you do (laughs) right. Like, like there's, there's a difference between sort of being like, how are we engaging in our household maintenance and the relationship maintenance and also like your toothache like yeah the toothache itself doesn't impact you in any way so how are you like sort of letting go of some of that responsibility yeah and i want to say too um sorry for interrupting you before sam Mm. and to you liza (laughs) i want (laughs) to say um you know so so we sam and i love to fucking rip on me for that relationship that he we mentioned earlier um but i will say you know, that person required, that partner that I had required a lot of the same caretaking that you're talking about, um, but rarely asked for it. I would just do it because it stressed yeah. me out, number one, yep. or I saw it as an act of love. Um, mm. And if I'm being quite honest, I resented the shit out of him, even mm-hmm. though he rarely asked for my help. You know what I mean? Um he, well, I don't know. He would ask for help with like money or plane tickets to see each other. But, you know, it, but it wasn't always like it, it was often I took it upon myself to like quote unquote mm. keep his life together when like his life was fine without my assistance, you know? And honestly, our relationship was 50,000 times more stressed out when I was like quote unquote mothering him or taking care of him. Because we had this crazy power dynamic that was so unhealthy and so mm. unsustainable. And I I, res- I felt like he owed it to me. I felt like he owed getting his quote-unquote shit together for me, you know, um, because of all the time I spent t- taking care of his fucking, you know, hot shit ass. Even though, like, I was hot shit when I was younger. I'm not hot mess. There we go. Hot, not hot shit. <laughs> You're hot shit for sure. <laughs> um, but and then so when so when our relationship came into question, I had like this, I had this sense of like, well, I've done all this work. Um, mm. it, shouldn't this be paying off? You know, this is this is basically what you owe me. You know, I'm kind of describing it sloppily, but I want to just paint a picture about like what happens when you do these acts of caretaking or mothering without being asked to and also when they go uncommunicated or untended to for too long it really breeds resentment it breeds what you've already hinted at this this frustrating feeling of like is this relationship not good for me you know Mm -hmm. so i guess i just want to reiterate uh, one more time too like it is absolutely okay for you to say this is an incompatibility right like Mm -hmm. that i really this 
our relationship, the way you live your life is different than when the way I live my life and it stresses me out, right? Mm-hmm. But what Sam and I are are trying to get to and are afraid of is that you're never going to find anybody who functions 100% the same way you do. Um, mm. And in future relationships, if you do move on from this relationship, you're going to have to assess your desire to take on other people's responsibilities. Like, what is that? What is that anxiety trying to tell you? Like, where did mm-hmm. you learn that you have to take care of everything or everything's going to go wrong? You know, right. Cause yeah, there's a exactly. deeper thing here for both of you, for you and your partner, like why your partner hasn't called the dentist. There's a deeper thing there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a deeper thing that you feel like, um, that you are the thread keeping your partner's life together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that you need to take on everything or else things are going to go wrong yeah. right? or else things are going to fall apart. It's um, stressful though. It, uh, it really, is. I want you to say what you're going to say, but I just really quickly at, to that last relationship, it was like, it felt gross after months of doing that. It felt like there was no win-win, even though we were trying really hard to love each other. Well, it, it mm-hmm. just, it felt it felt gross, and I and I don't want that to get like that for you and your partner. For sure. And at the same time, I do think that there's a certain level of, like, taking care of each other that happens in a lot of relationships yes. in ways that are very healthy, um, right? In ways of, like, uh-huh. I know that this is, like, causing you a lot of anxiety, so what would it feel like if I took it on for you, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like, oh, I see that you're, like, it's been a few weeks since you said you wanted to call the dentist are you nervous about it? Do you want me to call? I would be happy to call on your behalf and set up an appointment, yeah. right? And then like, cool, everything works yeah. out there. Like, but it's not like, it's not like you're doing it every time, right? You know, right. I think that there's, I don't want people to walk away from this conversation and be like, I know. oh, I should never be, I should never be mothering anyone. That's a sign of an unhealthy relationship. Like the reality is, is sometimes we have to be parents to ourselves. Sometimes we have to be parents to our partners, and there's a way to find a healthy balance between those things as long as it feels reciprocal, as long as it feels like you're not overextending, you haven't diminished bound or overstepped your yeah, boundaries or totally. their boundaries. Right. And like the situation that Sierra is describing is like there there was not a healthy power dynamic there, right? Mm-hmm. Like the boundaries were consistently being overstepped. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like what boundaries? <laughs> right. I think I think the fact that you're feeling this way is like yeah, there might be more to this than just like this is what normal or not normal, what what maybe a healthy reciprocal relationship looks like. But I do want to say that like this is going to happen in every relationship yeah, you're in, no totally. matter what. Like you're going to, there are going to be things that your partner doesn't want to do or doesn't like to do that you're just going to have to figure out how to do for them. <laughs> like, yes, totally. Like honestly, like it's like, there are things, there are chores that Peter doesn't like to do. And there are chores that I don't like to ha- do. And like, we just figure out how to do it for each other. Yep, <laughs> like, that's totally. just the reality yeah, of like so real. L- living together. That's just yeah. it. Like Peter goes grocery shopping because I don't like it. So yeah, I- I'm so glad you brought up the nuance of it because I was even like in preparing for this episode, there was so much that we could t- touch on in just this letter. I feel like we could do like a whole episode on caretaking for our partners, how to caretake for ourselves at the same time. When does that become unbalanced or unstable? And when does that become, when, how does that uh, harbor or grow um, resentment? You know, like there's so much here, but then also how do we 
naturally take care of one another because that's what cohabitating, loving, mm-hmm. growing together is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the la- uh, to leave you, Liza, um, I believe in this relationship. I believe in you. Um, I think the biggest thing I would I would want to send you away with is practice practice um, some anxiety reducing or anxiety acknowledging or mindful um, whatevers you know uh, mantras or journaling or whatever however that comes up to you about control about what you do and do not have control with maybe journal about your idea of success. And your responsibility, the responsibility that you feel to like, quote unquote, keep it together, you know, to mm-hmm. act for mm-hmm. others. Um, and also really, really look inward about what do you need? What do you want from your partner versus what do you need? Um, and I think I think you'll find at least if not some clear answers, maybe some relief um, to and and maybe some clarity about what you about what to do moving forward in this relationship. Absolutely. I think the solution to your anxiety here is not more control. The solution to your anxiety is is honestly letting go of the things that control, you yeah. have no control over and and choosing what things are important to you that you want to exert yeah. your your influence over, right? But, you know, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> just got really excited <laughs> because I just I realized the last thing I really want to say is like Liza, you know what? Me and that ex, we were not compatible, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's not just about, I we've said this before, but it's, it is about figuring figuring out what you don't have control over, like releasing yourself of the responsibility of caretaking for others. But guess what? Like the life that him and I were living together was not good for me mentally because I needed more stability, responsibility, um, consistency from him, right? And if you need that from your partner, that's okay. And then everything else we said. <laughs> I just like had that epiphany right. of like that dynamic between us was so sick in that relationship, but also like we should not have been together because we weren't compatible. Right, right. Anyway, that this letter is like 50,000 times more layered than it looks like on the surface. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for writing. Uh, we hope this Absolutely. helps. Absolutely. Thank you. We love you. We love you. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which... (laughs) Um, I am never not in slippers, and these are 100% Australian shearling-lined clog slippers, and I love that they're slip-on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to, like, take the trash out in them while also, like, staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter comes from Olivia Langdon, who is writing from North Carolina. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Love your podcast. I actually got turned on to it after describing this problem to a friend who very lovingly said, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe just break up well. And so here it goes. I have been in a very loving relationship with my current boyfriend. Let's call him Mark for over three years. We started dating when I was a freshman in college and he was still in high school. Yikes, I know. And I had just come out of a very toxic relationship, as in spent about one week single. I know we're both still young and I am trying to be realistic, but the more time I spend with Mark, the more I see him not just as a person I love dearly, but as a life partner. We have adjacent goals for the future, both have our own lives outside of the relationship while still managing to take make each other a priority, and most importantly, manage to make the rare argument an us versus the problem situation. My friends tell me that I'm engaged in their heads, mostly because we're so committed to each other. In fact, we've joked about a, quote, marriage timeline since the beginning of our relationship. Both finished college and then at least a year of living together and then a year of engagement. Now that I finished school and we've moved farther down that timeline, I find myself more and more comfortable with the potential for it to be a reality. Here's the catch. I'm bisexual and have known that since I was 12, but have never even kissed a girl. I always thought college would be a time where I would experiment and really figure that out, but now college is over for me and the reality that Mark might very well be my forever person is setting in. Mm. 
I love Mark, and I do feel in some way unfulfilled by the fact that if we do stay together forever, I'll never have explored that part of my sexuality. Mark himself is bisexual, and I've tried to subtly hint these feelings by suggesting threesomes or saying, you're really okay with never hooking up with a guy. But for Mark, who grew up religious, sex is exclusively about love, and he can't understand why I would want to hook up with anyone I wasn't in love with, especially since, as he says, quote, we both still know that we're bisexual without having hooked up with someone of the same sex. Why would I need to prove it? To his question, I don't have an answer, but I still have this feeling that it's a box I need to check to be happy. So what do you suggest? I don't want to break up with someone who I imagine marrying just to check that box, but I also don't know how to shake the feeling that I need to check it off my bucket list. Maybe it's still too soon to be worried about it, but I'm fearful of growing resentment towards my partner for settling for setting a very reasonable boundary, no sex with other people. Part of me also wonders if this is just a grass is always greener scenario. Given the opportunity to hook up with a woman, would I really even have the nerve to be to basically be a virgin again? I feel like my current mindset has me set up for failure. Either I break up with him and regret it, or I stay with him and regret never having been with a woman. I guess I'm asking a two-part question. How do I know if this feeling is even legitimate? And if it is, how can I talk to him about it without losing him? Or is that even possible? Thank you for taking the time to read this, even if you don't respond to it, and for making such a wonderful podcast. XOXO, Olivia. Thank you so much for writing, Olivia, and for listening um, and for trusting us with this question. Um, Sam, we get a lot of letters like this. Yes, we get many letters from... Um, folks who are bisexual and are, you know, in committed relationships with folks of the opposite sex and then are like, wait a minute, I feel like I didn't get enough time or enough experience to sort mm-hmm. of dating uh, people of of other genders. So right. it's been, it seems like a common thing uh, from yeah. my experience. Not as a non-bisexual person, I don't know that I fully understand the feeling behind it, right? Because I can't relate to it on a personal level. But um yeah. But I wanted to sort of call that out, that it is something that I've I've definitely seen as a trend in the letters that come in. I think that it, if I could describe it, I I don't necessarily, I can't say that I, I have felt the same way, but I have questioned my validity as a bisexual person in a relationship with a man. I don't mm-hmm. know if I would describe it as like longing to have other life experiences um, because, I mean, at that time that I was having those feelings or when I was with a man, I had been with a woman before, you know, so I wasn't like, there wasn't like a missed opportunity there or like FOMO, but, um, I definitely, there's some, there's totally a stigma or, or uh, something that comes along with being bisexual that, that makes you really question your validity, whether you are in uh, same sex or, different gendered relationship, what, however it manifests, it's somehow at the end of the day, you aren't real and valid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, I definitely understand this sensation. I think I, but I do at one, some part of me thinks that the pressure that we put on ourselves to prove our validity or like in this instance, like, want to have this life experience because we've never had it. I'll need your help articulating this or like you just your thoughts. But part of me sees this as like a harmful internalization of that, of biphobia, because, because there is this 
unnecessary. Well, here's the thing. It's hard to decide whether this is just normal, like desire, like wanting to Mm -hmm. experience something, you know, which is valid, right? Especially since you're in your 20s, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is all normal. (laughs) And also, is it a result of the pressure and the invalidity that we feel as a bisexual community member that if we never fulfill this part of our identity, then it doesn't mean that our identity isn't real. Does it make our life less queer? Does, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at this, what I can tell as a happy, healthy relationship and being like, oh my God, what if I, what if, what if this never happens? You know, there's Mm -hmm. like an anxiety inserted in this and it's, it's that's tricky for me because I want to push back a little Olivia on your letter about a couple of things that you say about like um, the phrase, check it off my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> totally know why you wrote that. And like that it is a phrase that it, it you know, I, I say things off the top of my head all the time on the podcast every week. Um, but that is, is an extension of the narrative you've been told about bisexuality, that it is an experience Mm. that you want to try on or whatever that even the language, like, Oh, I just want to check it off my bucket list. Again, I don't think you meant anything problematic or whatever. I just want to, I want to push back on it so you can free yourself of that, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's to be bisexual and to date somebody of the same gender um, or to, to date somebody, um, well, whatever. Uh, it, that does not, that's not a voyeur, uh, that's not a touristy thing. It's not a, it's not a, um, I don't know, what am I trying to say? Like, it's not a part of your bucket list. It's a life experience, mm-hmm. just like any other date is. And then right. to tell you, uh, the other thing I wanted to gently redirect is the idea that you would be a virgin again. When I slept with a woman for the first time, I was not a virgin (laughs) like that. (laughs) I had already had sex. You know, the idea of virginity is a construct, um, Mm -hmm. but I had already had a sexual partner. And if we think about if we, if we then, you know, if we make our life experiences about genitals and you know, the idea of like P and V or V on V, you know, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that is making our life that it, it contributes to this idea of like that queerness is one way and not the other, you know, um, there's, there's something there that like, I just wanted to push against because I feel like a lot of this anxiety that we're reading in these letters is fed by this monologue about bisexual people that we're not real and that we have to prove ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it is that layered on what I think is like a very um, typical sort of realizations that, that all relationships come with opportunity costs. Yes. Right. Like, yes. Like I think such a great point. I think there's like the social pressure around bisexuality and what it means. And also like, I think like an, a totally, understandable need curiosity, or desire yeah. curiosity yeah exactly to Cur- like yeah, need desire like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you guys should see our face right now we're both like yeah uh, yeah well because it's right? not just it's not like 
a cure. It's not just a curiosity. That's the wrong word, but it's not necessarily just a desire. It's like, I want to experience It's not a need either, right? right? Like it's not like you you don't need to experience having sex with someone of the same gender in order to be bisexual, right? Like, and I think that's, that's what's really challenging about relationships, um, especially when you add on layers of, of erasure and oppression and all of that too, mm-hmm. to like, to sort of come to the realization that like, yes, relationships are wonderful and like having a long-term committed partner is a great thing if that's your goal. And also it does necessarily come at the expense of other experiences and other yes. things. Yes. That's and that's it. really challenging, right? Like, you know, being married to Peter means that like, hopefully fingers crossed, I will never have a first date ever again. Right. Yeah. Like, and I love first dates. They're like one of my favorite things. <laughs> I am I am a social five, which means that I am very I love it. I love barriers, but I love people. And oh I'm God. very interested in people. Um, right? Like, you know, being in a relationship with in with Peter means that I will never yeah. experience sex with a different person. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. and sort of coming to that realization, especially, you know. Coming out of college where you are like, I was going to experiment, but then what I did was just get in a long-term relationship with a person. (laughs) Like, yeah, I can totally understand that feeling of sort of like, wow, I'm realizing right now that, that, you know, opening this door to this person for the rest of my life, which I want to do because he's wonderful and lovely and I think he's really great, means that I have to close other doors that I don't necessarily get to experience anymore. And I think that that's really challenging combined with this sort of narrative around what it means to be bisexual and also right. like an honest to goodness wanting to experience a yes, thing. Totally. Right? Like, yeah. Um, so I just, I feel for you in this moment. And the only thing that I have to say to you is that like relationships come with opportunity costs. Like I that's, think that's really smart. Yeah. That's the reality of it. And, um, yeah. and you're sort of like, do I have to pick between these two things? And it sounds like, Yes you do have to pick between these two things. And they both have pros and cons. I'm not going to tell you which one to do, but like, but yes, like these are two incompatible things that you're wanting here. You want your cake and eat it too, as Sierra loves to say. (laughs) But like, I am eating it. (laughs) That's a throwback to the fact that I didn't understand that fucking phrase. Cause I was like, I, I do have the cake and I am eating it. So (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. I can't believe um, we caught that on a recording. <laughs> anyway. It was, it was great. That, yeah, like, I think, yes, you are coming up against the reality that these two things are opposed and you're like, but I want both, which is normal, which yeah, is totally, totally understandable. Yeah. And sort of grappling with the fact that, like, yeah, you're going to have to make a choice in either direction. And both of those choices are going to have consequences, good and bad. Yeah. And I, I also want to, I want to push pushed back on another thing you said too, um, like, like lovingly help you rethink it. Um, you, you discuss at the end of the letter, you talk about like, um, you know, how can I talk to him about it without losing him? Well, that's a, that you're assuming a lot right there, right? You've been Mm -hmm. together for a really long time. Um, it sounds like you've talked about it before, but maybe not as directly as your authentic- authenticity wants you to, you know, mm-hmm. um, like where are, you you might have said, like, do you want to hook up with a man? But you didn't say I'm interested in hooking up with a woman, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like y- you deserve to be heard. Um, so 
Sam's right. There's a, there's these two opposing things, but you don't know the potential of the one thing. It sounds like your boyfriend's not interested in an open relationship or maybe a threesome or whatever, you know, however this manifests. Um, but you just, you never know. Um, and most importantly, you deserve to have an open conversation about this because you deserve to be known and heard, even if it's just by your boyfriend, right? And by two strangers across the world telling you that, not kissing, not ever kissing a woman doesn't make you any less bisexual. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a know thyself journey. I mean, I think I, I really think that you're going to have to live life. <laughs> that sounds so dumb, but like you're going to have mm-hmm. to to live life to keep experiencing these thoughts and processing them and and looking inward to and and really deciding. What is the thing that you most need or most want um, in this moment? And who knows? Maybe it's going to be to marry this guy. And in 10 years, you guys are going to be polyamorous, living living by the ocean. I don't know where you're from, but <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just painting a picture for you that the, that the future is infinite. And, yeah. and here's the other thing is like, I, I don't, you know, it's you have a lot of life ahead of you if you're as lucky um, as people with long lives. I don't know what the fucking weird phrase that was. I just meant I like know. that was the le- lucky the lucky grow old, right? So mm. this is all to say, you know, you have a lot of life ahead of you, um, and your identity doesn't need to be validated by experience. However, if the desire for that experience is so loud and 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 prominent and it's something that you genuinely want, um, then 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 you have to set your life up for that. You know, set your life mm-hmm. up to fulfill those things. I will say, like Sam said, we all have unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled experiences, unfulfilled wants, whatever we want to say. Like, and and we can and mourning those unfulfilled things are a part of life. I'm not saying don't go make out with a lady, but like they're there. I just want you to, I don't want you to feel less than if you never experienced that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel like you have to quote, you know, check it off your bucket list because we all have things that we, we don't get to in life. That doesn't make us less worthy, less lovable, less bisexual, less whatever, you know? Mm. Um, because that would be a really elitist way to look at identity. Mm, mm-hmm. That's real. Yeah. I mean, I think also I'll just say from my own experience too, that like that feeling of the grass is always greener has become easier to deal with the more and more time that Peter and I put into the garden in our own backyard. Right. Mm, like mm, the mm. Right. Like it gets easier to ignore that other grass when I'm so thankful for the fact that like, the cucumbers are coming up and like <laughs> I've got tomatoes for salad for dinner. Right. Like he's talking about that's a real how garden, I feel y'all. about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Literally. I just made raised beds. Um, like that's how I feel about it. I don't, I don't want to say that that's everyone experiences. And like, honestly, we get a lot of letters that, <laughs> that challenge that assumption, <laughs> but like, I think, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot of like, the proximity to the opportunity cost felt so much more intense. Like it was like, oh, but they're just like right there. I could just like, 
And then as I spent more and more time focusing on myself and the relationship, it became easier to say like, yeah, that grass looks green, but I also know that there's a lot of really good stuff here in my own backyard with this person that I've chosen. Yeah, totally. All right, Olivia, my darling, we know that this is heavy on your heart um, and I trust that you're going to be able to make the right decisions and have the hard conversations to, to, to be and to be known as your most authentic self. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right. The last letter comes from Anonymous Anonymous, who is writing to us from Maryland. I write this letter with a heavy heart. My ex and I dated a little over a year and broke up four months ago right before the holidays. He is a white male that lives in Virginia, and I'm a black woman living in Brooklyn, and we are both 28 years old. However, we're from the same hometown in Maryland. We've been friends since sophomore year of high school. We always had a crush on each other, but never acted on it. We ran into each other a couple times throughout college and hooked up, but it was never anything serious. Not that I didn't like him or enjoy his company. I just honestly didn't think he was into me that way. I never really had good luck with dating, so I'm not that experienced with the relationships. Summer of 2019, I was visiting home in Maryland, and I randomly reached out to see if he wanted to meet me for drinks. He said yes, and the rest was history. I don't know what it was about that night, but we didn't want it to end. I had to go back to New York City the next morning, and because of the distance, I didn't think we could keep in contact, but surprisingly, we did. We started texting every other day, which turned into us texting constantly. He came to visit me in New York City maybe three weeks after we initially met up, and at that point, we both knew we wanted to be in each other's lives. He brought a sense of peace into my life. For the first time, I felt as though I was able to let my guard down with a man and be 100% myself. I kept asking myself, what's the catch here? How did I come to find a man that wanted to commit to me and made me feel like I was the most beautiful person in the world? Even with the distance, we made it work. He would drive four hours to see me and I would fly down to see him. We never went more than two weeks without seeing each other. We both had no problem putting into in the work. I never had to doubt his commitment and his love for me. So you might be thinking how this all went wrong, right? Well, as we all know, 2020 was not the best year with COVID and the political division within our country. Yes, very important and heavy topics that can put a strain on any relationship, especially interracial relationships. We started off okay during quarantine. Since New York City became the epicenter of the pandemic, he picked me up and I basically lived with him throughout the whole year. There were times that I went to went back to New York City, but not for long, just to get clothes, etc., That in itself definitely accelerated our relationship, but we handled it pretty well. At this point, we knew or thought we knew that what we had was a forever thing. It didn't scare us to push our relationship to the next level with living with each other. We were a pretty good match. We rarely got annoyed with each other's presence. Then George Floyd was murdered, adding on top of all the social injustice black people faced in this country. This is where our relationship began to fall apart. I didn't know how to have political slash race conversations with him because he was quite the opposite of a liberal person. He made me feel as though my thoughts slash opinions were wrong and that he was right. I believe they used the term gaslighting for this. He told me he couldn't support the Black Lives Matter movement because he believed that there were people just trying to cause chaos. And he also didn't believe in systemic racism. As a black woman, this was really hard for me to digest. I couldn't wrap my head around how this man I love so deeply could not be as much as an ally to the people in my community as much as I would like him to be. 
I do not think he's a bad person, and I believe he has a genuine heart, but the things he said does not match up with the person I thought him to be. Now the election came, and surprise, he's a Trump supporter, and in case you're wondering, I am not, and have made that very clear throughout our relationship. He, however, was not clear that he was a supporter, and I say that because I remember vividly sitting at the table with his family having dinner, and they all agreed how that man was not fit to be president. So yeah, I was taken back when he always tried to side on the far right side of political topics. Long story short, fast forward to November 2020 after the presidential election, I guess he was battling with himself internally on whether or not we were going to be a right fit for each other since we have, quote, fundamental differences. I remember waking up that morning on the day we broke up. He wasn't talking to me the night before because I didn't agree with him on how he thought the election was a fraud. I couldn't take the silence, so the conversation began. He couldn't even tell me it it was over. He kept saying, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or I want this to work, but etc. In the end, I ended up packing up all my things and left with a very confused heart and unanswered questions. It was just so sad because everything else in our relationship was so perfect, but we just couldn't see eye to eye on politics. And honestly, that was not a deal breaker for me, but I think the problem was that we did not know how to communicate with each other respectfully on this topic. I cry almost every day still. I feel like I lost my other half and my whole world turned upside down. This was the first man I ever fell in love with and we were planning a future together. I was going to move from New York City to be with him and we were supposed to start an amazing life. I've never felt pain so deep and the hurt has paralyzed so many different parts of my life. He didn't fight for me, for us. He just walked away and never looked back. I don't have words to describe this feeling, but my heart is so shattered. It feels as though I'll never be able to fully put the pieces back together. I don't know how to love anymore, and I lost the spark I once had inside. I feel so lost because I've been staying with a friend in Maryland after the breakup because the memories of him in my apartment in New York City is just too unbearable to face. I lost my safe space, my apartment, the man I love, my peace of mind and my self-worth. How did you guys get through a painful breakup? How long did it take? And did you really fully heal from the heartbreak? I'm going to therapy and I'm trying to do the work. It's just so hard. And most of the time, I just want to give up. Mm. Oh, anonymous, anonymous. I'm so, so, so sorry. Your heart is hurting like this. Yeah, absolutely. We we are... A podcast that is all about breakups and like relationship problems. And it's still, I'm still sometimes so struck by our letter writers and and the way that you so beautifully wrote about what it feels like to be broken up and like yeah. what the, the aftermath of those painful, painful moments feels like. Um, and it's a good reminder for, for us to just remember how horrible it feels to be broken up yeah. with. And like, oh, totally. And that it's just like, it's earth shattering. It changes everything. And um, I'm just so sorry that you have to go through that. And particularly, um, not just first breakups, but but first intense love. First loves in which you saw and were working towards a future. I mean, the profound sadness mm. is so real. The physical ache, um, it's, it's a hard thing to... To carry and to process and to like, you know, go to work carrying that heartbreak to, to mm-hmm. not, not, not just to heal, but it's hard to like go about your daily life, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And can be so dis, disheartening 
Yes. To continue to like try and do the work and practice the therapy stuff and like yeah. go through all of the things of trying to learn more about ourselves and, and heal and practice all of the good self-love stuff that we talk about and still feel like it's not working and still yeah. feel like it's just like not enough. It's it's not helping at all. Yeah, it's totally. such a frustrating and and challenging experience to go through. So anonymous, I want, there's so many things that I want to say to you. Um, mostly just that I, I love you and I see this pain. I see your hurt. Um, but I, I will start with, I want to pull out just one thing you said in the letter that w- was striking to me. And it's a sentiment that I've seen echoed in other letters um, and, and in my own heart, right? You said your boyfriend didn't fight for you and didn't fight for your relationship. He just walked away from it and never looked back. And that is such a painful, painful um, feeling to hold. Um, And I'm not going to tell you that it's not true. Like, I want to validate that feeling for you. But I want to, I guess, start this response by inviting you to reframe the idea that he didn't fight for you. Because that 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 line of thinking is not going to get us anywhere, but but f- reframing it will. I want you to I want you to try to reframe the blame, and I, I don't want to. I don't I don't use the word blame in like when people break up. It's often nobody's fault, right? It just shit fucking happens, right? But I want if I'm going to borrow that word for a second without. Uh, very heavy connotations, move the blame off of you because you're saying he didn't fight for us. He didn't fight for me. He just walked away. Because, and, and the inner monologue I read there is like, because he doesn't love me, because he doesn't care, because I am not enough, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to move the blame off of you and onto him in that one ideology. Change it to... It's not that he didn't fight for me. It's that he doesn't have the tools, doesn't have the compassion, and he doesn't have the ability to stay, to keep me, or to respect me and my experience. He Mm -hmm. doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the ability to be good enough for you. It is not what you are lacking. It is what he Mm -hmm. cannot bring to the table. Right. Absolutely. He he couldn't do anything different than what he did, right? It's not that he made like an objective choice to not fight for you. It's that he literally can't. Like he he could not make a different choice in that moment. And I think that's important to recognize too, because like, I think it gets into some of the things that might help you, which is that like digging into the fundamental incompatibility that was here, yes. right? Like we get, we always get so many letters of people who are like, but for this one thing, this relationship would have been perfect. Right. If he didn't right? deny my entire existence yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and, that. <laughs> and support legislation and ideologies that, you know. Actively harm me. <laughs> yes. Then it'd be a perfect relationship. Right. No, exactly. And I, and I want to like, I want to challenge that too, because it's like that mentality around it isn't actually real like it's not actually helping anything because it's like it's just such a every relationship would be perfect but for the things that make us incompatible right like that's that's the 
the reality of it Mm -hmm. is that like sometimes it just comes down to fundamental incompatibility. And the fact that you're incompatible fundamentally means that there was never any potential for a perfect Mm. relationship to happen. Mm. Right. And so, and especially I want to like, I want to also push and say like, I know that you don't see politics as a deal breaker. And I think that's like a wonderful way to live Right. And but I don't think that the issue here was that you weren't able to talk about it respectfully because the things, the differences that you are having with this person are not about politics. It is about them doubting your entire experience in life. Right. Like it is about denying reality around you. Right. It's and I think that's that is what is so challenging. Like I am also on board with the idea of dating across political ideologies, right? If you want to have a conversation with me about how you think that things should be funded and like where taxes should come from, like, cool, let's, let's talk about that. But if your exist, if your ideology is the fact that systemic racism doesn't exist, then that's not, that is not a political difference. That is you denying reality. (laughs) That is like you denying, and especially, you know, a white dude denying that reality to a black woman is like, is not just political difference anymore. It's not even just like ideological. It's not even like academic differences. He is literally gaslighting your existence and the way that you have experienced the world. And that's very different than like having a healthy debate about whether or not this policy policy should be enacted right. or we should, we should be doing things in this particular way. Right. And that's, so I want to just push back on that and say like, it's not your lack of, compassion or understanding for him it's not your ability to be respectful that sort of drove this wedge between you right it is really honestly the fact that he denied and continues to deny the existence of real systems of oppression that have impacted you and your life in really real ways and look at all the ways you tried to make it work like look at the months that you stayed right despite Mm -hmm. his um Despite his beliefs that 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 literally just didn't align with your life, right? Um, look at mm-hmm. all the ways you tried to make this work, and still he couldn't he couldn't do that. He couldn't meet you there, right? Even mm-hmm. though you're someone that he loves, like talk about an incapability right there. You know, he mm-hmm. um, talk about somebody that you don't want to have children with. You know, <laughs> I. I <laughs> I say that as a joke, but also like totally real because to get to your, you know, your true question in this letter isn't like, um, what the fuck is wrong with this man, <laughs> which I'm mm-hmm. sure Sam and I could, you know, we could, we could go off on our own fucking liberal agenda. Right. But your mm-hmm. question is about how to get over this heartbreak. Right. And, and my, and my honest to God, biggest piece of advice is start looking at the realities, start practicing radical acceptance of what happened. The radical acceptance is we broke up because we are incompatible in in many ways, right? Or if not in many ways, in this pivotal foundational way, right? Um, another reality is I would, like, the future that I saw with him was a future that was on his terms and and was always folding my identity into a way that he found palatable, right? Mm. And that includes if you were ever to have children with him. I mean, I, I I think about that when I think about the 
the people in my life that it didn't work out with, like one of my exes who was particularly abusive and had really problematic ideas about sex and 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 gender and things like that. Um, do what would I want to like have a child with somebody who I know had who who lived in a reality that would that would hurt a child that I would want to raise? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of getting over heartbreak is. I know it's really hard to feel to 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 feel these big feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to feel these big as you the word you use paralyzing feelings, right? But we are capable of of examining them, challenging them, and eventually potentially changing them. Shifting mm-hmm. the way we rem- shifting the way we carry it. I'm not I'm asking you to not look back on this man as a perfect love that you missed out on that left you because you're not good at. I'm asking you to look back on him as an imperfect person, as we all are, who was incapable of loving your whole self, someone who would not give Mm. you a a fruitful, safe future, and therefore someone who is not worthy of any more time. Mm. No, that's that's exactly right. That that reframing is part of what we have to do. And it's also like easier said than done, right? You know, breakups are really hard and the the stories that we tell ourselves about breakups are really hard to unlearn. And also sometimes so it doesn't years. feel like it they doesn't feel like sometimes even want to want to do it. Like oh my God. sometimes it feels so much easier to just sit in those stories and and sort of reinforce them and and believe them to be true. Um you know, from two outside perspectives here, there is nothing you could have done differently to make this work. And you are worthy of someone who is going to see your full self and love you for that and and cherish and understand and and want to know more about your experiences mm. in this world. Mm. That's it right there. Like, don't you want someone who wants to know you that intimately and to, mm-hmm. and and who 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 when you say this is what i feel this is what i've experienced they say i see you i might not have experienced this but i believe you don't you isn't that what we all crave to be seen mm-hmm. and believed that's what mm-hmm. you deserve anonymous you deserve you deserve nothing less than than being honored for your whole and true self but i know i know I know this period is so heavy. I know that it is filled with so much pain and grief and mm. questioning. Um, and unfortunately, you are at the stage of of heartache um, in which you're going to heal in a way that you might not be conscious of. You know, so much like so much of healing is 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 in the in between. You know, it's it's what happens when you are mindlessly moving on with your day or maybe you meet somebody else and you're distracted for a moment. Like healing happens through time. Um, uh, That's not to say it doesn't happen with like intentional actions, like this reframing that we're talking about. But I feel like so much of heartbreak at at the stage you're at feels... um, impossible and exhausting because like you said you just don't want to hurt anymore you don't want to do this anymore you know how do you get over it mm-hmm. but i i guess i just want to say like 
hang in there, I guess. I guess that's when I, <laughs> I, 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 I want to say I see you. I see all of you and I believe you. And I'm so sorry that you're carrying this pain. And I know it hurts. I know it hurts so much, but it's going to be over one day. I, pro- I promise you that. Absolutely. Anonymous, we love you. Thank you so much for writing. We hope this helps. All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. Every show, we want to shout out something we love to set you up with. This week, we are sending you home with... A book called In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Mm. Um, And this is a book by a woman who was in an abusive relationship with another woman. So let me just get the trigger warnings out there right now. Content warning, uh, for sure, an abusive relationship. Um, But it is so beautifully, wonderfully written. Um, It tells a really important story about um, the abuse that happens in queer relationships Mm. as well and the ways in which that abuse is believed or not believed and the ways in which our queerness prevents us from seeing abuse as abuse because of the disbelief that queer people could abuse other queer people. Wow, wow, Um, wow. Yeah, and it's... um, It is profound. It is a challenging read, but it is also one of those reads where I read the whole book in like four days, which is very unusual for me. Um, It is, it is incredible. I, um, I don't want to say I loved every minute of it because that sounds weird because it's a book about abuse. (laughs) So like, right, right. But, but um, you appreciated it. Yes. I appreciated um, every page of it and the ways in which she talks about she moves from the political to the personal to the poetic um, in such easy ways. Um, it is she is just clearly a very astute writer. Um, and I think it's a really important book for folks to read. And as I read it, I just thought about all of the queer folks in my life who had faced abuse and the realities of what it of what they've told me about what that feels like and and sort of saw so much of it reflected in this book. So uh that is, it's called In the Dream House. It's by Carmen Maria Machado. I can't wait to check that out. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs. You can send us your favorite relationship meme, but most importantly, you can submit your questions. <laughs> Forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. That's right. Please uh, hit that follow button so that you can get a, a new episode in your. On some, hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every <laughs> Monday, exclusively on this. Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> exclusively on Spotify, and so consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as five dollars a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's Patreon.com/slash/JustBreakUpPod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more broken-hearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our great friend, Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify. And remember, you are worthy of love even when your heart is hurting. It is okay not to be okay. I know it hurts. I know you're tired. But it is okay to take time and space to heal. Everything is unfolding as it should be. And even if you 
don't feel it, you are healing more and more every day. You deserve to heal. Take the time. And if all else fails. Just break up. <laughs>